Our scripture today comes from First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 28, which is found on page 1789 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to turn there. But I'll be reading it too. In this scripture, the Apostle Paul explains why the resurrection of Jesus is central to our Christian faith. I'm sure that Pastor Joy will say a lot more about that in his sermon. So here's the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, starting at verse 12. The resurrection of the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed and is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he, he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have died for since man excuse me for since death came through a human the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human for as in all for as all die in adam so all will be made alive in christ but each in his own order christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to christ then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjugation under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjugation, subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. For when things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. Amen to that. So joy... Help us make some sense about that <laughs> scripture there. And may I offer a, pr a prayer blessing for you. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I uh, have grown to uh, appreciate and love Joey. And, uh, you know, this is number six out of six, Joey. <laughs> he's, uh, he's been doing extraordinary duty this past week. So he deserves his day off tomorrow, Lord. And uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give him words from you and that you will open our ears to hear the message that comes from you. Your blessing on Joey now, in Jesus' name, amen.
Morning. <laughs> um, sometimes there's things that you feel certain that you know, but if you have to explain them, then you'd have a hard time doing it. I think it's especially a thing that happens when you're talking to kids. I remember one time I was talking to my nephew when he was about six, and he was asking, where does money come from? And of course, I knew the answer really quickly, the government prints money. Uh, but then he asked another really simple question that completely and immediately stumped me, which was, where does the money go then? Like, yeah, the government prints the money, but like, do they just hand it out to banks or something? Or what happens next? I honestly had no idea. It seemed like something so simple, and it seemed like such a reasonable question, but I really had no answer whatsoever. I think this passage is a good example of exactly this kind of thing. In a sense, it might be something that we know we know, but we don't actually know. Like, I knew I knew where money came from until he asked me that question, and, until, and then I thought, huh, I guess I don't really know. Of course, we can say that Christ is our hope in life and death. But if someone came up to you and said, really, your only hope? What does that mean? Could we give a really good answer? Or would it be thinking, huh, I guess I don't really know. I mean, I think about what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, because it's pretty clear at a certain level. Um, Paul delivered as a first importance that Christ was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. He says that if Christ has not been raised, not just if Christ had not come or something like that, but if Christ has not been raised from the dead, it's basically time for us to pack up and go home because we're wasting our time. In other words, this isn't just any old miracle that we can be happy about and praise God for. This is the whole thing. If it didn't happen, we're done as Christians. There's a lot of philosophies or religions that would make a lot of sense if their founders never existed, like Platonism or Stoicism or Confucianism or Buddhism or anything like that. But Christianity isn't one of those. It makes a fundamental claim about historical reality, which must necessarily be true or the whole thing falls apart. And that claim is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was raised from the dead. If he wasn't, there is no Christianity. And the question is, which it can be hard to answer sometimes, why is this such a big deal? So today we're going to go through three of the reasons that the resurrection is such a big deal. And the three reasons are that it vindicates Jesus as the Messiah, it guarantees that we ourselves will be resurrected, and it's the beginning of God's new creation. First, it vindicates Christ as the Messiah. If Christ had merely died on the cross, he would be meeting the same end as any number of other men who claimed to be the Messiah in the time between 150 BC and 135 AD. And there were a lot of them. And just like these false messiahs, he would have been crushed by the Roman Empire, and there would be no reason to believe any of his claims. Just like when Rome crushed these false messiahs, all of Jesus' followers would be packing up and going home. In fact, they were, in the, they were right in the middle of packing up and going home when Jesus first appeared to them after he rose from the dead. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, there can be no doubt about anything he said about himself. If God struck down a man for trying to study the Ark of the Covenant as it was falling out of a wagon, do you really think he would have raised a false Messiah from the dead? This is why Paul considers it so important to bring up the evidence that this actually happened in this passage. Anyone who during his day wanted to claim that Jesus was a false Messiah had to reckon with hundreds of people who claimed to have seen him after he, after he died. Similarly, 
modern historians will have to come up with a reasonable expectation for why practically everyone knows the name Jesus Christ and not the names Simon Bar Kokhba, Judah the Galilean, Thutis, or Simon of Perea, all of whom were false messiahs. If the resurrection story was made up, why weren't similar stories made up for these people? Their followers were no less devoted than the followers of Jesus. Thousands of people died for them. So why did everyone go home after they were killed, but not after Jesus was killed? There has to be something special about Jesus, and I think that's the resurrection. And if God raised Christ from the dead, then all that Jesus said about himself is true. If at his baptism, when Jesus was raised out of the water, God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. How much more, at his resurrection, when Jesus was raised out of the realm of the dead, was God saying to the whole world, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Second, it guarantees that we will also be raised. In Judaism at this time, especially in books like Second Maccabees and First Enoch, the idea of the resurrection was actually, in some ways, a political doctrine. Many Jews believed in that in the day of the Lord, God would come in judgment against all the kingdoms that oppressed them, and the faithful Jews would finally be shown to be right. Just like Christ's resurrection vindicated him, so the resurrection of the faithful Jews would vindicate them. The doctrine of the resurrection was one of the main reasons that the Jews were successful in liberating themselves from the remnants of Alexander the Great's empire in 140 BC. The Jews believed that even if they died in horrific and humiliating ways in war, that one day God would raise them up and judge the ones that defeated them. In the end, they believed that they would be shown to be in the right. And the main way that would happen was through the resurrection of the dead. So the resurrection came to have new meaning. It came to symbolize judgment for the evil, especially for the powerful evil that oppressed the Jews, and vindication for the suffering righteous. The resurrection meant that when evil empires came and oppressed them, God was simply biding his time until he would come in judgment. Because God would come in judgment, objective morality existed, and the world was not just a power grab. Finally, God would reward his people who struggled for his kingdom on to come on earth. It made a lot of sense then why the most rich and successful Jews of this time, who really enjoyed the time of the Romans, the Sadducees, didn't believe in the resurrection. Because it meant that God would judge the kingdom that, like the Romans had. Meanwhile, the most desperate people, the Zealots, believed most fervently in the resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we will also be raised from the dead. And if that's true, that means that the bodily historical reality of the world is going somewhere. It means that every day is one that leads towards the new creation of our world. What that means is that we're accountable to someone. We don't get to just make up the rules as we go along and do whatever's best in our advantage. Because God has shown in the middle of history a sneak preview of what's coming at the end of history. And that's where he raises up those who are faithful to him, to new life, and brings those who never knew him to eternal judgment. And that means that the resurrection for us can have similar effect as it did for the early Jews. It tells us that God is the one who's totally in charge in the end, even if it looks like other powers are really scary. And so it's totally rational to serve God even if it makes the other scary powers unhappy. Because we know that in the end, we, we will receive everything that we give back to God. 
Meanwhile, anyone who serves the scary powers instead of God is not acting rationally and is forfeiting eternal life for a temporary gain. At my college, there was a quote on a wall by a missionary named Jim Elliott, who was killed in an attempt to evangelize to a tribe in the Amazon. It said, he is no fool who does what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We will not be able to keep our lives here, but if we give our lives to God, he will give us a resurrection life that we can never lose. Third, the resurrection means that Christ has defeated sin and death. Paul says that if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Why would that be? In Isaiah, God promised that one day he would make a new heavens and a new earth, and the old heavens and the old earth would pass away. Everything wrong would be made right again. Death and pain and suffering would be no more. And all the evil in this world that makes it not what it's supposed to be would go away. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrected body was the very beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. Everything wrong in the world is coming untrue, and the world is being remade and starting in just one man's body. Paul consistently says that this resurrection has given us power over God's enemies here and now. In Romans 8, he says, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Just like he gave life to Christ's dead body, he's also giving our dead bodies life so that we can resist sin and live the new kind of life that Christ has in mind for us. Because when we believe in Christ, we become united with his resurrected new heavens and new earth body. And we're infused with his power. Paul says, we, are we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Somehow, God, simply through our baptism, has given us this new kind of power which allowed Jesus to raise from rise from the dead. The same bodies that we will have in the resurrection somehow give us power right now, today. Because the beginning of this day of the Lord has already started a couple thousand years ago. The kingdom of God is here right now and has been inaugurated by God decisively defeating his enemies through the resurrection. In verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says that death has been swallowed up by victory. The longed for day of the Lord has come and death, the final and most fearsome enemy of God, has been defeated. And it's defeated in our daily lives and in our very bodies because the power of sin and death over us is broken. This, apparently, was the Corinthians' problem. They believed, along with a lot of other Greek and Roman people in that day, that what really mattered was in the mind and the spirit. And so the resurrection of Christ's body wasn't really a big deal. In fact, they wanted to escape their bodies so much that it didn't sound all that impressive when Christ was raised from the dead. If we can just change people's minds, it won't particularly matter what they do with their bodies. In fact, the only thing that's really immortal is the soul anyway, so what do we care what we do with it? This leads the Corinthians to say that there's no such thing as a resurrection because bodies are not immortal and the soul is. And it plays out ethically in chapter 6 when the Corinthians say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But Paul says God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
Now, if Christ was risen from the dead, that means that God's program for saving the whole world is actually playing out in the world that we see. Not the invisible world of spirits, but the world with bodies and flesh and dirt and kingdom, kingdoms and governments and stuff you can touch and feel. It's not only happening in our minds or in some cosmic battle behind the scenes. In other words, what you do on this earth matters. You're not supposed to be spending your entire life preparing your soul to go to heaven. Our bodies are our strongest tie to historical lived reality. And we know this quite well if we think about it for a few seconds. I can think whatever I want, but if I don't exercise for a few weeks, like I have a bit recently, I'm going to gain a few pounds. Whatever I try to think, one day I'm going to die. And no philosophizing or intellectualizing is ever going to change that. The fact, I am going to die, is the most objectively true statement possible. And it's this objective historical reality which takes place in our bodies that allows us to gain and lose weight, to touch and hold dirt, to eat, cry, celebrate, and die. And it's that exact reality that God conquered through the resurrection. And sometimes we might have a similar problem to what the Corinthians have. Sometimes I think we might have this idea that we're watching the world on TV and we're watching a cool story about how everything is going wrong, but one day Jesus is going to take us away from here. We never recognize that we have a God-ordained responsibility in this exact world to effect change right here and now in the very world that was conquered in the resurrection. We're not simply believing in the gospel and then waiting to die to go to the real world with our souls. On Sunday, April 9th, 2023 AD, we're living in a kingdom that, um, that, that began to be conquered, the world, on Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD. The resurrection of the Son of God means nothing less than conclusive proof that our lives are important. As someone from a generation that's continuously collapsing in denialism, which is the idea that nothing really matters, this is the unique idea that we can preach to Christians that are young people. I know so many people who I grew up with who have a really hard time believing that their lives are important in the grand scheme of things. I mean, there's billions of people. What's the value of just one of those lives? Especially if your life isn't going very well, why continue, continue struggling through it? And the answer we have to give is that God has redeemed our lives in the very world we live in. Our lives are important because Jesus died for them. And he has infused our lives with a different, better world in this place right now where we live and breathe and do everything we do. And we use our lives in service of making the world look like that world. We make it look like a world where pain and death and suffering and purposelessness and nihilism aren't things anymore where everything sad comes untrue. Because that's what it looks like when the creating power of God meets the world we live in right now. We can say that Christianity means being part of the winning side of a battle that's already been won. The resurrection has guaranteed that God has total control over life and death, and he will be victorious over evil. This has been demonstrated in history, in the world that we live in, with our flesh and blood and dirt and food. As surely as this has already happened, it means that we will also be raised from the dead to another world with flesh and blood and dirt and food even more real than this one. Around Easter, I often imagine what it would have been like to bend with the disciples when they first saw the resurrected Jesus. 
Obviously, there would have been a shock. I probably would have had a hard time believing my eyes. And then I would have been overjoyed. God really has entered into history in Jesus. And he's conquered sin and death, and the new creation is finally here. But then, I think something even more weighty would come to me. I would realize that this isn't where the game ends, but this is where the game starts. This is just the very beginning of this whole new creation thing. Everything sad is coming untrue in the very world that we live in now. And it's up to us to spread the news of God's victory, his victory in Jesus, and also to spread the new heavens and the new earth that has just started in Jesus' resurrected body. What that means is that every single second of our lives is so important. There is no time to waste. God is redeeming the world through his own son, and we get to be part of that story. God is rescuing the world from destroying itself. And there are plenty of people out there living in despair and willing to throw away their lives. They live in the cloud of sin and death that makes them miserable. But God has sent his new creation into this world, and it's their only hope. Let's pray. God, convict us right here in the world that we live in, that you've come to set this world free from sin and death. Infuse us with the power of your new creation so that we would be able to live out our mission with purpose. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.